Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO Podcast. I'm John Lin, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and we want to help you be more successful. And today's guest is a, a longtime friend of Healthcare IT Today, a longtime social media friend as well, and he's Dr. Dirk Stanley. He's the CMIO at UConn Health. Welcome, Dirk. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I knew I needed to have you on the on the podcast, so I'm excited. We finally made it happen. But for those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and UConn Health. Sure, uh, I'm Dirk Stanley. I'm um, I'm a physician who works in clinical informatics. I'm the CMIO at UConn Health. I'm a board certified in internal medicine. I have uh, over 13 years of uh, direct bedside experience. And uh, gradually my career has taken me now into full-time informatics where I am the CMIO in a large academic institution. We have clinical projects to work on, academic projects, research projects, administrative projects, a lot of things going on in healthcare. And I, I'm sort of the translator between the largely the clinical staff and the IT staff. I, I sort of, you know, I interface between both of those teams. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and let's talk about informatics because I think you're one of the most passionate people I know about informatics. Obviously, you publish a blog. We'll link to that in the notes <laughs> so people can check that out. I mean, you, you share such amazing insights about what it takes to really do informatics that I think a lot of IT professionals don't understand. So what's maybe you know one thing that many health IT pros don't really understand about informatics? I, you know, it's hard because I think um, there's a, it's, it's not just about configuration and, and construction, if you will, like somebody sort of has to play the role of the architect and, and it's very hard because very often I find clinical users, they, they know they have their needs, like they, they're trying to take care of patients and they have diseases to diagnose and treat, um, you know, so um, they know what they need but they may not be able to express it in a way that then the, the analysts and the other people who configure the systems do. So I, I sort of, I fancy myself sort of a clinical architect, if you will. Like I meet with the homeowner, talk to them about what are their needs? Like, you know, do you want a one bedroom house, a two bedroom house? Do you need a wheelchair ramp? Maybe somebody is, you know, um, you know is uh, disabled. Do you want the kitchen on the first floor, the second floor, the laundry, <laughs> you know, like, Somebody yeah. has to sort of work out those details because eventually those users are going to live in this house and they're going to want, they're going to need to be able to do what they need to do. And so I take their needs, you know, what are their, you know, including even what's the budget, what's the, you know, like what's the time frame that you need this built. And then I turn it into blueprints that then I can hand over to, um, you know, the people who then actually do the configuration in the building, uh, and that way it really helps kind of, there's somebody to be accountable for those sort of higher level designs. Um, and that way, you know that the, you know, the laundry is in the right place and the kitchen's in the right place. And you don't have a wall that goes, you know, you know stairs that go to nowhere. You know, I, <laughs> I have to sort of incorporate all those things into the final design. Yeah, it's, I love the analogy. I was thinking of a different analogy, kind of the real estate agent that I had. When I bought a house, 
there were a lot of things I didn't know about the process. I knew what the outcome was. I wanted to buy a house. I wanted a fair deal. (laughs) I didn't want to be screwed by the other owner, et cetera. But what I didn't understand, for example, was I needed to go in and do an inspection before I signed that final escrow statement (laughs) that says the house is mine because we actually did that. And then the oven had been swapped out. Who knows what happened? I mean, probably some, you know, robbers took it and swapped out this old one. But so we found that. And like, so the the real estate agent saved us from things that we didn't know we needed, you know, before they went wrong. It kind of sounds like an informatics person does that as well, because the doctor knows the outcome they need to get. And the tech people know how to implement some stuff. But there's something in between where it's like, you know how both of them interact with each other and the pitfalls that they could experience along the way. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good, you know, like somebody has to be that interface between the two and help avoid problems on both sides, you know, and, and, and also I think it's really kind of also about translating the, so when the clinical people say like, I just need something to help me round (laughs) and the IT people are like, what does that mean? Like, what is rounding? Does that, are they spinning around or what, you know, and you're like, no, <laughs> that's going and seeing the patient, you know? So there's like, there's a lot of like medical lingo that has to be translated to, so that the IT people can understand. And same thing when the, you know, the, when the IT people are like, well, you know, we're, we're going to be taking, you know, the switches down today. And, you know, like the, you know, the clinical people, are like, what is that going to impact my surgery? Like, I don't, you know, like, yeah. What are the switches? You're going to turn off the the light switch. Is it, (laughs) you know, like, you know, so, um, you know, and, and even something as simple as just planning an upgrade and, you know, doing a downtime, like there's so much work that goes into planning, like, okay, well, what's the right time to do it? What's the right, you know, like who needs to be notified? Is this going to impact the emergency room, the ICU, the operating, you know, like, you know, what is this going to do to billing? What is this going to do to scheduling? What, you know, there's so many, so much work that goes into making the decision to, you know, when is the right time and who needs to be notified and what are the downtime processes that they need to use while the, you know, something is down. It's just, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Another example to me is, is workflows. And I know that's another one of your, your passions is trying to create that really great, workflow can you give an example of of like the process you go through or you know how you really work through to ensure you get that really great workflow so um i love talking about workflow i'm thank you for (laughs) for asking i love this is something i'm really passionate about um good workflow um for a clinical person feels right it feels almost like somebody with your clinical specialty who like knows what you learned about diagnosing disease or treating disease, that's who configured the computer. And you use the computer and you're like, oh, I don't have to click for it. Like it's uh. like very few click and, and it's asking me all the right questions and it's alerting me of like, it literally, I've heard people describe it as, um, you know, like you're walking down a street and you're not being stopped every five seconds, <laughs> but like literally, you know, like when you're hungry, all of a sudden somebody gives you food. When you're thirsty, suddenly somebody gives you a drink. When, when there's really something you need to know about, like, oh my God, they're doing construction. There's a big manhole, you know, like <laughs> you don't, you're like guided around the manhole, like, but it's like easy and it feels right. And it's like, it, it's almost like eating delicious food that you, um, 
you know, that's been tailor made for exactly what you wanted. That's what good workflow feels like. Well, that's and, what a EHR out of the box does, right? Exactly what you described is. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it takes a little bit to get there, you know, sometimes there might, you know. It, There's some work to do. Exactly. There's definitely some work to do. But, you know, it starts with understanding the needs. Like what clinically are you trying to accomplish? Like, and, you know, and not just what are you trying to accomplish? Like, what are the other parameters? Like, where are you trying to accomplish it? Who needs the information? You know, where, when, how do they need the information? How does that impact your decision-making? Like there's so much, um, it's, you know, there's so much like cognitive process that you have to evaluate, like, because you always want people to have exactly the right information, not too mm -hmm. much and not too little. You want them to have it in the right place in the right time in the right way to the right person. Like, Sometimes this has been described as the, you know, the five information rights or the five rights mm -hmm. of information, getting the right information to the right person, the right time in the right place in the right way is what makes good patient care happen. And, you know, it's not even just the, to the, you know, the doctors and nurses, it's also for the patients right now yeah. with, um, you know, all the legislation around patient portals and open notes and stuff like that giving patients the information to make better decisions, they, it, it empowers people and they, they ask better questions. And there's been a lot of data to show, you know, improved outcomes and improved health from patients being more engaged um, and asking questions during their visits. Um, so yeah. it's, it's a lot to like, kind of, you almost have to sort of think who are all the people and, you know, what information are they trading with each other and when so that we can design those that, those workflows to make all that happen. Well, and I think the challenge I see looking at this workflow problem is that often you run into like competing interests. <laughs> how, how do you approach that in kind of balancing those competing interests where, you know, I, 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 security is a great example, right? It's the easy one. It's like, well, security says we should do it this way. <laughs> you know, you're like, well, that's a terrible workflow, <laughs> right? So, you know, I mean, uh, but there's lots of others, I think, right? Like, how do you approach that kind of competing interests of usability, amazing workflow, and some other competing interests? It, well, it's definitely hard. Um, if you, you know, I, I've actually mapped out like, you know, who knocks at my door? There's users, there's patients, there's regulatory people, there's finance people, there's, um, you know, uh, changing uh, state and federal regulations, there's changing payer contracts, there's, you know, acquiring new, uh, you know, services. And, um, and you uh, didn't even say doctor and patient. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, well, you yeah. know, the, all the people who use all these systems. So um, when you have that many people knocking at the door at the same time, um, this is where it, you know, a very helpful tool is having good governance, right? Like, you know, mm, like yeah. we listen to everyone, everyone who knocks, we meet with them, we talk to them, you know, but we ultimately, most organizations then have to prioritize those, like, you know, exactly to your point, you have to then really like set priorities, what's top priority, what's medium priority and what's lower priority, even the lower priority stuff, I guess, I just want to emphasize, like is still important, but um, you know, you have to sort of rank things in terms of importance and work on them, you know, as fast and as efficiently as possible. Yeah. And, and I, you know, we had a conversation one time, I don't know if you remember it, in Boston, we were at an event and, uh, and you told me about some of the projects you had on, on your plate. And you're like, John, how do I prioritize these? Right. And you're like, 
some of these, you know, I can't remember the number, we'll just say 5,000, right? Whatever the number was at the time, uh, you know, you had this many and you're like, and some of these are six month projects. So do oh, I do yeah. the six month project or do I do the six day project because it's six days? You know, I think that governance one is such a challenge. It, it is. And, you know, a lot of people have, um, I'll just say, I'm, I'm not sure there's any organization that has this totally worked out. Like, people are getting much better at it. But, um, you know, I can tell you, like, you know, in the in the discussions about that, you have to weigh patient safety is always mm -hmm. like very sure. high. And that's usually like one of the top motivators for a project. Being done. Yeah. Um, you know, but also the size and the scope of the project. Um, how many people will be impacted, um, you know, is important. Um, uh, whether or not the project is related to maintaining the delivery of service or if it's sort of a nice to have kind of project, it's also, you know, there's a lot of factors that you have to discuss with the group and people don't always agree. You know, sometimes <laughs> people, you know, have disagreements and when they do, then, you know, we have to often bring in, you know, a third person to kind of help be the tiebreaker and stuff like that. It's yeah, makes a sense. lot of work. I, I would say, uh, you know, I would say probably about 20% of my job is just in evaluating projects and, you know, trying to help provide expertise about, you know, the, the priority for them. But I'm only one voice in a large sure. chorus of people, right? So, yeah. Well, and I think one thing I've learned in the CIO podcast and all the the different CIOs, CMIOs that I've talked to is that the key is, is clear leadership from above with the mandate. So you can align that governance and those priorities with the leadership. And some organizations don't have that, which is challenging. Yeah. And you want it to align with your strategic goals. Absolutely. Exactly. But, um, you know, but I think, um, you know, I think most people in healthcare though have very similar sort of philosophies. Like we're here for good patient care. We want, you yeah. know, like we, we need to maintain what we currently have, um, uh, you know, not, and that's not just keep the lights on, but also make sure that things are continuously updated. This is another thing that I think um, sometimes people forget about. Once you build, let's say an order set for treating pneumonia, it's great, but you know, New England Journal of Medicine next <laughs> month publishes like, oh, there's a better antibiotic for this. Like you got to update all that stuff. So, um, you know, I'm constantly reading medical journals too. That's another thing that I do in my role is sure. making sure that what we have in the computer is uh, fairly aligned with, you know, what the up-to-date literature is. But I also depend on a lot of the doctors that I work with to help identify, yeah. um, you know, that stuff. So it's, it's just a lot of work keeping, it's a lot of work building it, but then it's a lot of work maintaining it. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. So as you look at your, you know, all the work you do in, in health informatics, if you could solve just one healthcare informatics problem with like the snap of your fingers, you know, the wave of your magic wand, you know, and it would just be fixed, what would it be? I think um, there's so, you know, there's so many different tasks. There's a I thousand things you do. You need more than three wishes, huh? <laughs> oh, I, have, yeah, I would wish for more wishes. Um, <laughs> I know. Um, no, I think, um, I think what would be helpful is having a better understanding of what informatics is, right? There's um, part of the challenge of being between those two worlds, the clinical and the IT world, is there's, I think there's, a, there's not always recognition of the importance of this role. Typically, it sounds like, you know, the clinical people are like, oh, you're an IT person, you know, what do you know about treating pneumonia, right? Or, 
And then the IT people say, oh, you're a doctor. Like, what do you know about, you know, servers and, you know, or what do you know about data fields or, you know, like, yeah. and, you know, so I'm, you're sort of living in, in you know, between these two worlds. Um, and I think if I had one thing I could fix, it would be just greater industry understanding of the importance of all the people who do this work. Like there's, um, you know, and without an architect, it's very easy to build you know, a bathroom with a window that you can't reach. So, you know, you never really can open it or close it or, you know, somebody sort of needs to think about all these little details of, of how things are built. And, um, you know, and, and I really, I love what I do. I'm so passionate about it. I've met unbelievable people through my, you know, what I do. Um, but we definitely need more informatics people around the country and they need to be more visible to, uh, you know, people on both sides of the fence. Yeah. One thing that's been promising is I've seen a number of CIOs who were originally CMIOs. So I think that will help bridge some of the gaps at some organizations. So I think that's a good trend. I hope so. But I'm, I'm equally discouraged that some of our uh, famous websites that, uh, you know, are still don't have CMIO in there when you're like putting yeah. your job in, like there's no CMIO anywhere there. Uh, there's yeah, some pretty fair. big... <laughs> and here we are in 2021 and it's not even recognized as a job so yeah that's yeah. fair i did have one cio who was a cmio as well who uh said but we don't want too many because we still need the doctors which i thought <laughs> that was an interesting observation yeah, I, <laughs> I, I understand. it's it is it's a commitment to you know for to put a doctor to work in it is it, certainly a commitment but but you know it's somebody really needs to be the architect and yep. you know and the translator i love that right <laughs> yeah yep. so as you look at your career what's the best advice that you've ever been given um for becoming a cmio you mean? yeah i mean or, or that helps you in your career that helps you find satisfaction in your job any advice uh you know i i uh i got the advice that um informatics is not really about technology it's not about computers it's about information and when i try to explain that to people i'm like you know and because often i get like well you're an it person right like, you know and, and i say well you know you know if you're on the clinical side of the fence sure you can call me an it person yeah but really i think about information i think about like when a doctor decides to treat pneumonia you know, they're in their head, they're thinking, you know, azithromycin and what dose and what, you know, what route, mm -hmm. what frequency. Um, but that information is whether it was on paper or in a computer, it's, it's information, right? It's information where it lives is sort of, is kind of irrelevant, but it's uh -huh. the fact that it's stored somewhere, right? It's almost like, you know, it's, it's much more about how you organize your closet than it is about, you know, whether your closet is virtual or, mm -hmm. or um, real, right? Yeah, so, that's a great example. Um, so if you've ever had the experience of trying to share a closet with somebody, like, you know, people disagree over where to keep the socks, right? And where to keep the shirts or the pants or whatever. So you have to now, a lot of my job is about sort of organizing this virtual closet for, you know, like, you know, a thousand doctors, like, you know, are all the doctors going to agree on the doses of the medications and the, you know, the time schedules and, 
you know, are they going to agree where to find their notes and where to find the, you know, the images and the x-rays and stuff. So you have to almost, you know, it's, it's very much about people. Um, it's very much about the information that they share. Uh, I learn a lot just by listening to people talk and mm. not just about doctors talking, but nurses talking, uh, MAs, uh, you know, OR nurses, uh, you know, um, you know, office assistants and stuff like that. And it's fascinating to see linguistically the terminology that they use when they're describing their patient interactions. It teaches you a lot about how the information flows from one person to the other. Um, there's a lot of information flows, whether they're verbal or electronic or on paper. It's about communication and how do people think about things. Wow. That's yeah. some great insight. Uh, I guess that's why we have two ears, one mouth. Is that what they said? Uh, yeah. Listening and <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, I've never heard that. But that's I'm I'm going to write that one down. It's, <laughs> yeah. Right, it's a good one. So you know, for anyone listening that may be aspiring to be a CMIO, or maybe just became a CMIO, or maybe a CIO who's trying to hire the right CMIO, uh, what skills do you think that you know they should work on the most to really be a successful CMIO? So, um, I don't, so for me, I like, um, this almost happened by accident. I didn't really, um, I don't, I, I don't know. I think we've talked about this. I, I came from an IT background before I went to medical school. Oh, really? I didn't and, know that. Uh, That's cool. So, so I, I actually, um, first worked in for a small software company. I did Unix administration. I was actually oh. the help desk person at one point. Like I was, <laughs> I was supporting a group, a large group of salespeople who were, at the time using dial-up modems to do like million dollar sales pitches of, you know, wow. for software. <laughs> so I was the one they were, you know, Turk, like, why is the modem not working? Like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you know, sort through a patch panel and, you know, like, a. yep, so I was I, there. <laughs> I came from, yeah. Right. So I came from that sort of uh, background and after college, um, I, uh, I worked, um, I ended up, uh, doing, I, I was sort of a little burnt out and I ended up, um, volunteering at a hospital and that's kind of the first time I started you know you know learning about things and they looked at my resume at that point and they were like oh you know like you look like one of those computer people like we're we have we have an you know a computer room here in the hospital why don't you go volunteer there uh-huh. I started volunteering there but I you know I didn't know anything about healthcare but I knew how to generate reports I knew SQL I knew how to you know so I came from a data analysis background then they actually hired me full-time as a medical data analyst Wow. And I was that guy, I, I admit, I was that nerdy, you know, like with my spreadsheets and my, you know, graphs, raising my hand in the, in the middle of a large group of doctors going, can I just ask, why is the central line getting infected? Why is it never the line on the left or the line on the right? And they look at me like, like you have no idea. You know, you're, uh, you stay on that side of the spreadsheet. We'll, we'll do the doctor stuff and you do that, you know, mass stuff and we'll, so I didn't, I didn't understand what I didn't understand. Right. And I kept asking more and more questions and that's what eventually led me to, um, to medical school. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and I'll say as a final footnote, when I was applying, they, uh, you know, a lot of people told me they were like, you know, why is an IT person applying to medical? That doesn't make any sense to us. Like we do medicine and you do computers. Like, yeah. You why should have studied biology or anatomy. Yeah, why you, and, and I didn't have a good answer myself, right? But like, you know, but eventually I, you know, 
two years later, I got into medical school and then two years later, now I'm wearing a white coat and a stethoscope, right? And I'm on my rounds down in New York City in Brooklyn Hospital. And I see people, I'm like, wait a second, you're typing data into this database A and then you're printing it out and typing it into database B and then you're printing it out again and you're <laughs> typing it into database C and you have no patient identity, you're creating duplicate records. So some poor data analyst, their graph, instead of looking like this, their graph is gonna look like this because you're creating duplicate records. And they looked at me like, no, 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 <laughs> you're a doctor. You have a white coat and a stethoscope. You don't know anything about IT. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> like, wait a second. Like just two years ago, you were telling me the other. <laughs> I got the <laughs> that I was an IT person, you know, like, so, so I, I kind of fell into this, like, you know, when, when both sides don't really understand what to do with you, you go into informatics, right? I, <laughs> Isn't there a lesson there though, about the need to collaborate and maybe trust people's skill set and maybe not be so judgmental? I mean, that, that feels like an important message there. We're, we're all tribal, right? We all have mm -hmm. our tribes. We, we, whether we realize or not, we subscribe to certain tribes and, and we, you know, we make certain assumptions based on our perception of those tribes. So right. it's okay. Like the medicine tribe didn't understand the IT tribe and the IT tribe didn't understand the medicine tribe. So I want- now we need an informatics tribe who can understand both. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up in a multicultural household. That's the other thing I think that helped. I grew up, my, my mother is a German immigrant and I grew up speaking German, but I also, my dad is an American. So, so I grew up translating, um, you know, between two cultures and two languages. So for me, this was always sort of like kind of my role, um, you know, like just being that interpreter living between those two yeah. worlds, you know, so I think that also probably helped me in, to some degree. That's awesome. Well, Dirk, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I haven't seen you in person in years, so I'm glad we were able to at least connect virtually and I could share you with the Healthcare IT Today audience. And thanks everyone for watching. If you want to find more episodes of the CIO podcast, you can check them out at healthcareittoday.com. Danke schön, Dirk. 